Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Welcome to Frog Power. We're your hosts, Auden Rag. So this week we had the honor of interviewing Jumpy McGee, um, who is a amazing person who does five billion things, and um, she calls herself a mama for a wife, teacher, advocate, artist, activist, athlete, and she is absolutely all of those things at the same time. So many things. Um, she is currently living in Portland, Maine, and she is one of the co-founders of Team Indigenous, which we've talked about before on our episode with Daryl. Mm-hmm. She does a lot of activism around um, representation of Indigenous folks, both in the roller derby community and outside of it. And she's also works in social services. She does so many things. She's a superhero. Superhero, and she's wonderfully kind and we just we really hope that you enjoy learning more about team indigenous and um jumpy's experience in roller derby uh why don't we start off with you just telling us a little bit about yourself sure um so i am april fournier also known in this great derby world as jumpy mcgee Um, I live in Portland, Maine. I am the mom of four kids. Uh, They're 18, 16, and then I have 11-year-old twins and also now two dogs. Uh, And um, my husband, um, I am Diné, so that is one of the tribes in the Southwest um, through my mom. Uh, My dad is actually um, French and Irish from here in Maine, so that's how we ended up back here on the East Coast. Um, I, by day, am a um, special educator. So I am the special education manager for one of our county head starts. And I also play roller derby and happen to be uh, the co-founder of Team Indigenous. Uh, I also am on main roller derby. Um, I'm a board member as well as play for home teams and our travel team uh, and also play for Team Maine, which is a state team that goes to different tournaments around the country. Um, one's coming up in February uh, in Pennsylvania. So, yep, that's me. <laughs> um, doesn't sound like you're busy at all. No, not at all. No, not at all. No, no. I need to find things to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so did you uh, grow up in Maine or did you grow up in the Southwest? Um, I was born in Arizona, um, and when I was about a year old, uh, my mom and dad decided to move back to Maine. Um, And so I grew up here um, in southern Maine um, until probably like 1993. Um, And so my mom was adopted off the Diner Reservation when she was about four. And so her and her infant sister grew up with white parents Mm. in southern California. And so she didn't really know her birth family at all. Uh, and in the early 90s, um, she was able to 
um, find her brother and reconnect, and then was able to fly out to Fort Defiance, which is on uh, the Diné Reservation um, in Arizona, and meet her whole birth family. So her birth mother, her um, siblings, and so there was a big family reunion, which was amazing. And so my mom and dad really wanted us to have a chance to get out of Maine and see different cultures and just different ways of life and get a, a shot of what life is like outside of Maine. And did your mom um, and her sister grow up with like a connection to their indigenous roots or were they totally separated because they're being raised by a white family? Mm, that's a great question. So they, um, my grandparents, so their adoptive parents um, were wonderful and loving. Um, they were a little bit older, um, both born in Iowa and had grown up in Iowa. Um, and then we're raising my mom and her sister in Southern California. So, you know, they, they never made it a secret that, you know, my mom and her sister were Diné and they were, um, you know, from a tribe that was located in Arizona and they were adopted. But, you know, I think there's, there's only so much they could really tell them and teach them, um, as, you know, being white parents, that just wasn't their history and that wasn't their background. So, you know, there's, you know, the the loss of language and the loss of ceremony and the loss of medicines and the loss of, you know, foods and language. Um, when they were adopted, my mom only spoke uh, Diné. She didn't speak any English, so mm -hmm. she had to acquire English um, as a four-year-old. So I think they, you know, they tried to do the best that they could, but, you know, there's just some things that you really can't replace um, when that is not your culture and your history. Right, exactly. And so um, what about you? Did your mom raise you with a connection to the Diné, uh, like, traditions or culture? Um, she, I think she did the best that she could because she only knew so much. Right. Um, I think one of the, you know, unfortunate parts of when you take an Indigenous child out of their culture and out of their um, homeland and out of their language and, you know, history and ceremony is they learn a different culture and they become a culture to a different culture. And so even though in her DNA, that was, you know, the Diné culture, she had grown up, you know, in a white Southern California culture. And so there was only so much, I think, that she could really tell us because she only knew so much. Um, and it, you know, wasn't really a driving force for her, I think, at the time when we were younger to learn all about all of that. Um, and it really wasn't until me and my sister started to get a little bit older and ask some more questions. And, you know, we were always very proud in elementary school and middle school to do, you know, our history and research projects on um, the Navajo or the Diné and um, tell people that's what we were. And, you know, we were really excited, but we, you know, had very limited knowledge based on her limited knowledge. So, you know, we never got to participate in like the puberty ceremonies or we never got to participate in um, medicine ceremonies. And we really didn't know any parts of the language. It was just what we could learn off of. And, you know, this is dating myself a little bit, what you could learn out of encyclopedias, you know, because uh, growing up in like the 80s and early 90s, there was 
no internet. There's no worldwide, there is no Google. You can't just go find all this information at the tip of your fingertips. You are solely reliant on what's being provided to you by your community, by your schools. So there's not a lot of additional information you can get, especially as you know, a child. Um, and do you feel connected now to the Dine uh, culture? Like, is that something you've pursued as an adult? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I think one of the things that was so important to me um, when I started having children was that I understood more of my culture. And I think it, you know, it's still, it was still hard, you know, in 2001, when my first child was born, um, my aunt and uncle that lived in Gallup, New Mexico, which is right uh, at the very border of um, the Diné land, um, you know, threw me a baby shower. And I got to see, you know, some, some of the traditions, but there was just, you know, there was very little um, that I had learned, but I really was determined to increase my own education. And it didn't happen all at once. It wasn't like, oh, okay, it's, you know, I've had my first child. Now I'm going to learn absolutely everything about my culture. It's still, you know, is still trying to balance, you know, being a new mom and then, um, you know, trying to work. And so it's trying to build all this extra time to learn about yourself when the resources that normally teach you those things aren't readily available or don't know those things. And that, again, is just something that's so unfortunate about, all of the children that were taken from um, their families and adopted out or went to reg uh, residential schools, there was just so much loss there that I don't think there was a very clear path on, hey, here's how you become reintegrated into your society, or here's how you become reintegrated into a culture that skipped a generation. Um, so I think one of the the catalysts for really taking a deep dive into learning more about who I am as an adult um, and as a Diné woman was um, really looking at, you know, team Indigenous as it was forming. So I, I'll back up a little bit. So as, as a mom, my kids, we had our oldest two, um, and then we were pretty much sure that we were going to be done. Uh, and then our youngest at the time was getting ready to go into kindergarten. So, you know, all of you parents out there will know the feeling of, yes, no more childcare. I like <laughs> shortly after he started kindergarten, I think it was probably around Christmas time, I found out I was pregnant. Uh, and then at the halfway point, we found out it was twins. So we instantly doubled our kid count. <laughs> so, you know, that that's really hard to one, be a mom of two and work full time. Uh, and at the time I was going to school, but then to add two more infants to that and try and balance all of those things. Um, and so I think what happens for a lot of us as adults, you know, just with all of the different priorities that we have in our lives, and we have passions, and we have things that we like to do, and I've always been a relatively active person, my ability to participate in sport and participate in being um, actively an athlete was, it was gone. It was completely, I wouldn't say taken away, but significantly reduced because I didn't have time or really any access to adults that played sports that I like to play. Um, and so I 
um, was always kind of looking for the next thing to do. And I got very out of shape, which just did not feel good. And it was when my children were all taking karate. Um, so the twins were about four and the older boys were kind of uh, late elementary, early middle school age. We went to roller derby because they had been invited to do a halftime show. And so they, you know, we got in there, they were just finishing up the first half. So our kids are running out on the floor, they do their routine. And so we're getting ready to head out. Um, I wasn't planning to stay. And the second half started and it happened to be the Halloween bout. And so everyone was, all, of course, all dressed up. And I don't even remember what the theme was uh, anymore. But roller derby she- people don't need an excuse to wear weird <laughs> shit while they play a sport. <laughs> no, we don't. Um, but it was just I was watching the and it's it you know, it was like a little romantic, but I was watching like this dance that is happening with all of these people on roller skates. and it is fast and they are all different body sizes and all different heights and they're wearing, you know, all different things and they're crashing into each other. And it was, oh my God, I don't know how I'm going to make this happen, but I have to do this and decided, okay, I'm actually going to try out for Maine Roller Derby. I think, I think this sounds like really fun. I think I, I want to be able to crash into people uh, and take that next step. And it was right around the time of playoffs. And I happened to be watching um, Gotham uh, and I, I can't even remember uh, which round it might've been in, but I remember watching and seeing there the skater that was just looked almost a mirror image of me um and i was like wait there is a native person skating what um uh, because i i live in maine so maine is the whitest state i would that uh, was one again me one of my questions <laughs> like i've been to maine maine is very white and then like very- trees <laughs> Yes. Yeah. We trees and white people. Yep. That's for sure. Um, (laughs) And moose and and lobsters. Uh, We have a little diversity. Uh, But I just remember watching that and it was just and really as you know, as a native person, there are not a lot of sports role models out there, um, really, and especially um, in like 2013, 2014, there, there definitely was not a lot out there. So to see another native person doing a sport, especially a sport that I was very um, interested in and very excited to go out and do, um, it was amazing. So I absolutely was, I have to know more about this person. And, you know, through doing research, found out that she was also Diné, which was amazing. And, you know, she was also on the East Coast, just right in New York, um, and happened to play for one of the best teams um, out there. And so this is Mick Swagger, by the way, is the person I'm talking about. Sorry, I meant to say that at the beginning. We're keeping um, it a secret. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's on the edge of their seat. Like, who is it? Who is she talking about? Uh, <laughs> spoiler alert, it's Mick. And then uh, she had come uh a year or so later and did some coaching with Maine Roller Derby. Um, and that's when we had kind of started talking about forming um, an all indigenous roller derby team. And that's something that she had been thinking about for years. Um, and so with our, with our powers combined, 
um, we really started um, to do some of the work, like creating you know a mission statement and what would it look like to assemble this team and you know how would we go about talking to the Roller Derby Nations Committee about allowing a team that's not defined by a country status or borders or proof of citizenship, you know, how, how would all of that happen? And so we, we made it happen um, and said, you know, we're, we're going to do this. And so um, we were approved through the nation's committee. And of course we were approved for world cup. So, you know, we created team indigenous and um, started recruiting skaters. So I forgot what the original question was, but I think that <laughs> that's answer. okay. You made a perfect segue. That was a great segue. Yeah, totally fine. So, why was it important for you and Mick to form this team? Because it sounds like to me, what you're saying, it felt like you. I mean, I would, as someone who maybe doesn't look out for this, but watches some sports. Um, that I don't see a lot of Native people. And as a Native person saying someone else that looks like me playing at such a high level, like I would think that like we were the only two. So I I just kind of want to understand how Mick kind of came up with the idea and how you guys, why you guys thought this was so important to form um, a roller derby team for Indigenous people. That's a great question. Um, so... I can't really speak for Mick, um, but I think what we have both really talked about was the idea of someone being able to be on a team with you and to be a teammate with you who has shared experience and has kind of a shared life history and a shared set of values. And, um, you know, I think someone who looks like you, you know, one of the things I can compare it to is <clears throat> when I talk about, you know, being inclusive and we talk about inclusiveness and trying to create, you know, an inclusive space, that doesn't mean that you just throw up a sign and say, hey, you know, all are welcome here. That's not being inclusive. Being inclusive is being able to make sure that that space is full of people that you're intending to recruit and invite through the door. So like mm -hmm. for me, if I were, you know, an indigenous person looking at this all white space, I might say, gosh, I don't know if that feels safe for me um, because there is no one in there that has the same body type that I have. There's no one in there that looks like me. So there's no one in there that might have the same shared experience. So it might be a really awkward situation for me to, you know, walk through that door and, you know, join that group. Um, but if I were to look through that door and see, okay, there, you know, are two or three or a full team of people that look like me and sound like me and, you know, have a similar experience to what I've gone through in my life, I am running through that door because I'm so excited to have found them. Um, and again, I think when we talk about why we wanted to do this, it's because when you look at roller derby, you know, in general, it is a predominantly white sport mm -hmm. that is very expensive to play. So I think our ability to allow lots of people to access the sport um, is really limited. I think that answered your question. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you, you brought up a good point about like 
access to resources. Mm. And if you don't have access to resources, especially a sport that you need money and you, cause it, there's a lot of equipment and you have to pay dues and sometimes you gotta travel and not even money, but like you need to have a job that allows you to take that time off sometimes, or you know, you need to be able to work days so you can go to practices at night. You just need to be able to access this plethora of resources that aren't always available mm-hmm. in low income or even not even low income necessarily, but like marginalized areas across the board, whether it's black communities or indigenous communities. Um, I just think that that's a really poignant statement of saying like, you just, you, if you don't have access to resources, how can you be the best athlete you can be? And then there's Absolutely. like a lack of already, then the lack of representation sort right. of is perpetuated. Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just, it just becomes like this vicious cycle feeding into itself of there's no representation because you can't afford to participate. And so, and you can't afford to participate because there's no representation to help get you to participate. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that we just had the um, good fortune to I say good fortune, but really it was a lot of hard work went into making it happen. Um, but Maine Roller Derby just finished our very first junior skating skills class. Um, and it was in partnership with our local um, Portland Parks and Recreation group. And so one of the things when we were in the initial stages talking with them about this program, our, one of our focuses were making sure that it was accessible. And so one of the really neat things about the Parks and Recreation um, Department here in Portland is that they have a tuition and fee waiver program um, for families who maybe can't afford to pay the full cost of a program. So they'll sub uh, Parks and Rec will subsidize whatever that enrollment fee is so that the there should never ever be a fee barrier for a child to be able to participate in sports mm-hmm. is really what we all wanted to make sure happened. Um, the work that Mick and you and everyone on Team Indigenous did in applying for sort of being recognized as a nation so you could have a team has really opened up the door for so many other displaced, displaced people yeah. or people without a nation or citizenship. Mm. Um, and I think that that is incredible. Um, and I, I just, I think that it's so important, especially for someone who doesn't feel like they belong anywhere because they've always been that marginalized person or that other to have mm-hmm. a safe place and a sport that they are really passionate about mm-hmm. is you guys have done great work. And I, I mean, I don't belong to either of those communities, but I'm still extremely grateful that those spaces exist for people who need them. Thank you. Yeah. It's really refreshing to see these spaces being created and being supported in their creation. Um, And I guess like it's, it's really, it's just really exciting to see people getting to own their identity in a way that makes them proud. And it's just like the main part of right. the like point. It's the whole point of it yeah. is that your identity is on display. You're reclaiming who you are and then you get to display it with a, a group of amazing, 
powerful skaters or athletes in general. Um, and I just think that that's a really empowering, just, it's, it's, it's a very, um, I don't, I don't even know. It's just, it's a very refreshing, empowering movement to see. And I remember we talked to, who did we talk to? Murder Maid. We talked to Murder Maid about how like what you folks have done with Team Indigenous is inspiring them to think about creating a team of the African diaspora of displaced African, African-Americans, yes, displaced yes. black communities within yep. the United States. And like, you've just done so much work that has, created so much more momentum and I can't wait to see where this goes. Yeah. I think that's one of the, one of the things that even when it gets, you know, because one roller derby is like a volunteer sport, right? Mm -hmm. And we, we pay to play and it's a lot of work just on your normal home teams or your normal travel teams or just within your own league. But then to add an additional layer on top of that to, work on creating one of these, um, you know, collaborative teams, it's, it's a ton of work. And I think when, when the hours get long or when the emails, you know, get many and you start to just have so many things like line up, one of the things that keeps me going, um, and I think probably others is just the thought of, Gosh, if you can think about the next World Cup, and right now the Roller Derby's Nations Committee is working on defining, you know, what does a nation mean? Um, and um, because it shouldn't just stop at Team Indigenous, it shouldn't just stop at Jewish Roller Derby. You know, there are so many displaced nations and cultures and peoples that have the right to be able to form that team and claim that space and take the track together just like we did. Um, so the, the work isn't done. Um, and I think that knowing that there are other teams out there that still should have that opportunity is what makes all of the work worth it. Um, and so that's, I think, what definitely keeps me motivated, um, for sure. And speaking of, you all have a game coming up. We do. We do. I'm so excited. Um, so um, it's the uh, We Are Nation game um, uh, because we are borderless nations. Uh, and so when we were talking about, you know, what what should we call this game? Um, we decided on We Are Nation, not We Are a Nation, um, because we were looking up, you know, the definitions of nation. And it's just you have this collection of people with a shared history, shared culture, um, shared reason for being together, that creates a nation. And that's what we are as Team Indigenous. That's what Jewish Roller Derby is, is Jewish Roller Derby. So it just made sense that that would be what we would call ourselves. Um, so yeah, we are a nation again without borders. Uh, it is Saturday, November 16th um, in Montreal on the champ stage, uh, which I am still just completely blown away that I'm going to be standing there with these athletes that have worked so incredibly hard to get there, um, both, you know, through throughout their lives just to get to that point, but also what we've worked on together as a team to make it uh, to that venue. Um, so I, I'm incredibly excited and so 
incredibly humbled that I even get to do this work and this is my life. (laughs) I just think like how amazing is it that the culmination of the roller derby season with the best of the best is going to be like showcasing these teams like team indigenous and Jewish roller derby Mm -hmm. are going to be like incorporated into this. Like I think the pinnacle of like roller derby each year, which is like, it's just, it is incredible that we're able to give. I'm just very impressed with Wufta giving this like spotlight to you all. And I think it's such a good use of their platform. Absolutely. Um, I am definitely grateful for that partnership and they have been um, incredibly respectful of the process um, involving us in so much of the decision making around, um, you know, what, what do we want to do for, um, you know, ceremonies? What do our media communications look like? You know, we did the team indigenous um, Instagram takeover on indigenous people's day, which was so much fun. Um, And I think just, it was a great way for an organization to look at. So we say, you know, we're inclusive. We say we're revolutionary. How do we put that into practice? And what a great way to do that by giving that space and giving that bandwidth and giving that platform to those marginalized communities who have said, hey, don't forget about us. You know, we have experienced, you know, really difficult times within the sport, um, like many other marginalized populations. So let's, you know, make sure that we're remembering us and giving us that space. And so I I am incredibly grateful. Again, they have been really great partners um, with making this happen. Um, So what is going to be next for Team Indigenous after this game at um, the championship? Great question. you know, I think there's there's lots of things that we idealistically want to do. Um, you know, I think it's been on all of our minds that we would love to expand into um, juniors and really be able to give a platform for those up and coming indigenous youth skaters. I think definitely looking into how can we support a juniors team uh, is certainly on our radar. Um, you know, I think some of the other things we want to look at you know, is being able to, you know, expand our, you know, education and advocacy arms um, as we are continuing to grow and help other teams that have been displaced to find um, their ability to um, form the team and compete. That we're also able to expand how we can educate um, other people within uh, the Indigenous community on hey, here's how you can start um, teams in your area, or here's how you can find local representatives to talk about some of the issues that are really important to your tribe. Or, you know, for me, I didn't grow up within my tribe. So here's resources on how to make some of those connections when those connections were severed um, before you ever had a chance to make them. But just also continue to have a voice and influence um, the roller derby community with making sure that this isn't just a one-time thing, that you have this, you know, international platform, that it's something that 
is continuing to grow um, and increase um, and more visibility keeps happening and continuing to hold WFTDA, you know, accountable for making sure that not only, you know, is the Indigenous community supported, but, um, you know, our Black skaters are supported and we're seeing action when, you know, there are incidents of racism or, um, you know, our our other um, marginalized groups continue to be supported and that there's action and that there's correction and there is movement. I think that's one of the things that we hear over and over and over um, from marginalized groups is I just get frustrated because I feel like I speak up and nothing happens. And um, that just can't be acceptable anymore. That really has to be um, things that are corrected and it has to be corrected at the highest levels. And I think that that's one thing that Team Indigenous does really well. Mm -hmm. You all use your platform to call out those instances and also highlight voices of people who are saying those things, even if they're from other communities. Absolutely. Which I think is so important for everybody to be working together and sharing your experiences and highlighting each other's stories and making Mm -hmm. sure it does get heard and that it doesn't go away. Right. And I know that for myself personally, following your Instagram, following your Facebook page has been truly enlightening for me because I wanted to start understanding more about indigenous rights and the issues that a lot of indigenous people face. And your Facebook page kind of helped create little little paths to finding new pages to follow and new sources of information. So this way I could work on learning what I need to learn and should learn and then this way when the burden of education is too heavy for you and your team i could work to be stepping up and going here's resources you know and because of the work that you've done i've learned a lot and i want to make sure that i keep learning and i keep giving those resources on to the next person as well and passing that information because it was really eye-opening on things that I just had no clue about. Mm, Yeah. Um, I think that's, you know, that's why, that's why we do it. Um, And I, you know, we're really grateful that we have such a good um, social media team um, that is rotated internally. So um, we don't really have a specific schedule of when we're going to post stuff or who's going to post stuff. Um, it's just when you see something that you feel would be important for us to share and amplify, mm-hmm. do it. And so that's what we do. Um, and so the burden also doesn't fall just on a single set of shoulders. You know, it's shared, um, okay. which I think is so, you know, so important. So for anyone that is looking to do this type of work, it's so important to not do it alone. Um, and that is another incredible benefit of having a team of people that have shared experiences and have um, similar lives to you, even though, you know, we're, we're very diverse, you know, in our backgrounds and what we do um, outside of Derby. But, you know, when we come together in this space, it just, it gives everyone energy and it gives everyone support. And it just feels like, yeah, I can do this work, but it's because I have such a strong support network that when I do, you know, hear something really shitty, I can go back to my team indigenous family and say, this happened to me today. And I could tell 
my husband who would say, oh, that's unfortunate, but he doesn't know really how that would, how that feels when it's something like, oh, well, you know, you probably don't deal with a lot of prejudice because you have lighter skin or you don't look native or, you know, there's just lots of microaggressions that happen that, well, you know, I have friends who are supportive and again, a husband who's incredibly supportive, they don't always completely get it. But if I share that with my TI family and say, this happened to me today and I'm trying to figure out how to feel about it, mm-hmm. I just feel, I feel so heard and I feel so seen. And I think it's then that I can really process that grief and anger and then move forward um, to continue to do this work. And I think, again, if you're if you're looking to do this work, that would be my first piece of advice is get a family and a team around you um, who can help lift you up when those days get really hard, but who you can also learn from and lift up um, the same way. So thanks for listening to our episode. If you are interested in learning more about Team Indigenous, you can find them on social media as Team Indigenous Rising, and that's both on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, you can also find more about a Jewish roller derby by also just looking up Jewish roller derby on Facebook and Instagram. If you are interested in supporting Jewish roller derby and Team Indigenous for champs, you can go to the Strong Athletic Instagram and you can buy apparel, which will help fund the skaters to get to champs to play. Uh, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Frau Podcast. You can send us an email at fraupowpodcast at gmail.com and don't, don't be a dick. dick.